and welcome to another episode of Best of the Left Podcast. Today we have clips from Sam Cedar, Rachel Maddow, Randy Rhodes, Tom Hartman, Fox News, Keith Olbermann, Bill Maher, and the Young Turks. You understand that if Barack Obama, Barack Hussein Obama, whatever you want to call him, if Obama wins, it is going to finally put the nail in the coffin of the one guaranteed electoral strategy, winning strategy for the Republicans over the past nearly 40 years. It is called the Southern Strategy. It came about after the Civil Rights Act was passed in 65, and a lot of the formerly Democrats, known as Dixiecrats, who were racist, jumped to the Republican Party. At that point, particularly in the election of Richard Nixon, Richard Milhouse Nixon, the Southern strategy was basically race baiting. You got Ronald Reagan, he heads to Mississippi, that same place where Schwarmer and Goodman and those guys who were killed uh, trying to help register uh, black voters in Mississippi Ronald Reagan launches his campaign from there in 1980 or 79, wherever it was. And they have been using this veiled strategy of racism since then. And I got news for you. Barack Hussein Obama. That's just the next version of it. But if he wins, it destroys. It destroys the Southern strategy. a sunshiny gleam around that dark cloud. The Illinois Congressional District that for 21 years was held by the fridge, former Republican House Speaker Denny Hastert, the district that went for Bush by 55 percent in 2004, the congressional district held by the immediate past Speaker of the House of the Republican Party has just gone to a Democrat. In a special election in Illinois on Saturday, um, a Democrat won Denny Hastert's seat. Scientist and first-time candidate Bill Foster beat out a well-known Republican named Jim Oberweiss. Jim Oberweiss was a former Republican candidate for governor in Illinois. He is known statewide. He has a big Republican name. He had tons of institutional Republican support. He had a lot of money. He was Denny Hastert's hand-picked successor for his seat. And Oberweiss got it handed to him by a guy who'd never been elected to anything before who was a Democrat. The Republican Party had spent more than a million bucks trying to hold on to Denny Hastert's seat, which is about a fifth of the total amount of money they have to spend in total as a party on all of the seats in the House for the 08 election year. If you've got very little money, if you've got somewhere, if the other party has somewhere between five and seven times as much money as you have to uh, invest in House races, in races for the House of Representatives, you do not want to spend some of your precious, precious precious money 
defending the seat for which the um, uh, the, the Speaker of the House used to um, represent. They spent all their meager money on this one race, and they lost it anyway. does a smart investor have? Look no further. There are exciting new options available in the fast-growing world of privately sponsored elections. <laughs> new Jersey Governor John Corzon and Pennsylvania Governor Ed Rendell have submitted a proposal to privately raise half the funds needed to conduct do-over elections in Michigan and Florida. This is a great investment opportunity for people who know how democracy works. Yeah, but giving cash to a fund to sponsor these elections isn't really like an investment, right? I mean, you don't get anything back. <laughs> Obviously, someone doesn't know how democracy works. Most investments seem so risky nowadays, but how can you go wrong sponsoring an election in Florida? There's the attitude. <laughs> when you think about it, why should government sponsor elections to decide who's going to run the government? Sounds like a conflict of interest to me. When taxpayers pay for an election, what do they do? They elect politicians who cut taxes so much that states can't afford to conduct do-over elections. So please, give. I, I mean, invest in the makeup primaries in Florida and Michigan. And let's get government out of the election business. Yeah. Let's have corporately funded elections. Or let's have officially sponsored corporate funded elections yes let's have uh, elections sponsored by wachovia and budweiser or john corzine who could pay for it out of his pocket change and he's a hillary supporter this is craziness this is unbelievable it's it's privately sponsored primaries my god democrats are still angry at bush for privatizing government functions and now we're talking about privatizing an election and people are going yeah let's do it it's unbelievable this is craziness this is so sick and 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 this is all the fault of howard dean and hillary clinton who left her name on the ballot in michigan when she said she would not and for Going to Florida for private fundraisers, but not campaigning there. Give me a break with this. It's all such a lie. And then, you know, it's it, it, here's where we're at. On to Mississippi. Isn't that scary? Doesn't that frighten you? Moving forward to Mississippi. You will never hear those words spoken in a sentence ever, ever again. Moving forward to Mississippi. Good luck in Mississippi, Hillary. She's less popular among black people than Michael Bolton's greatest hits. Moving forward to Mississippi. Uh, moving forward to Mississippi. You know, there's plenty of people in Mississippi who would favor Hillary over Barack. Unfortunately, most of them are Republicans. Look at this. Check this story out of Ohio. 
16,000 plus Republicans in Cuyahoga County switched parties when they voted in last week's primary. And idiots are sitting out there going, she won Ohio. She won Ohio with the Republican vote. They want to run against her because they know what I know. There's so much dirt on Hillary Clinton. And, you know, one of the most innocuous things that they will use against her is her biggest crisis, as noted by her in her book. My biggest crisis was the Monica Lewinsky trial. You know, it was the whole thing with Monica Lewinsky. And I remember finding out about it. I couldn't catch my breath. And then I began crying and yelling at him. This is what they're going to point to. They're going to go, this is what she's like at 3 o'clock in the morning in a crisis. And that's just the personal some blogs that there are a lot of Republicans who are calling into talk shows across Texas right now, have been this morning and were late yesterday afternoon and evening, complaining that they were disenfranchised, complaining that when they showed up at the polls and as Rush Limbaugh asked them to do, said that they were there to vote for Hillary Clinton, they were given a Democratic ballot And they went in to vote, and they voted for Hillary Clinton, and then they discovered, much to their horror, that they were not able to vote for any of the statewide Republican candidates, because it was just a Democratic ballot. And so there's a lot of, uh, shall we say, buyer's remorse, or angry Republicans who are, well, you didn't tell me I wouldn't be able to vote for any other Republicans, and they're claiming that they they were disenfranchised. And, And this morning I was on Fox and Friends, and what was interesting is, uh, just just before I came on, the host of the show said, if you lived in Texas and if you crossed over and voted for, for uh, Hillary Clinton, as a consequence of Rush Limbaugh's appearance on uh, Fox, you know, on, on the Bill O'Reilly show, Bill O'Reilly's Factor with Laura Ingram, this was the, uh, the exchange. Rush, I understand that the Rush Limbaugh audience is mobilizing in Texas for Hillary. Am I hearing that right? I don't know if the audience is mobilizing or not. Uh, I am urging people, uh, I'm using a phrase to Republicans, I mean, our, our nominee's chosen, it's John McCain. Uh, Texas is open. Uh, and I want Hillary to stay in this, Laura. I, this is too good a soap opera. We need Barack Obama bloodied up politically, and it's, it's obvious that the Republicans are not going to do it. And then, he, and then he even goes on to say that he's getting memos, all the right-wing talk show hosts me- are getting memos from the RNC saying, don't go after Obama. And don't have the stomach for it. As you probably know, but we're getting all kinds of memos from the RNC saying we're not going to be critical there. Mark McKinnon of McCain's campaign says he'll quit if they get critical of Obama. This is the presidency of the United States we're talking about. Uh, I want our party to win. I want the Democrats to lose. They're in the midst of tearing themselves apart right now. It is fascinating to watch, and it's all going to stop. If Hillary loses. 
which is absolutely right. If Hillary had lost last night, then pretty much that would be it, as Bill Clinton had said. And now it's continuing. And so uh, Limbaugh wraps this up with uh, Laura Ingram. So, yeah, I'm, I'm asking people to cross over and uh, if they can stomach it. I know it's a difficult thing to do to vote for a Clinton, but it will sustain this soap opera. And it's something I think we need. It'd be fun, too. So anyhow, I was on Fox this morning and the host said, you know, if you're a Republican in Texas and you did what Limbaugh said, please let us know. And in the 14 minutes before I went on the air, they got 1,200 emails from Republicans saying, yep, I did that, which is totally weird. Texas uh, broke the pattern of independents voting for Barack Obama last night. Independents, pretty much 50-50, voting for Hillary Clinton. Uh, You know, her, her independent numbers went up dramatically. And I'm not... You know, I, I I was willing to totally write off any conspiracy theory aspect of this until this morning on Fox News. As I'm sitting there as a guest along with Michael Reagan, and they're talking about this and, and making a big deal out of it. And I'm like, whoa. You know, I think, I think you know, to the extent that Hillary Clinton won these two states, these three states, she won them fair and square by basically going negative on Obama. And there's a lot of political math going through this, which we'll discuss as we go on throughout the day. There are three huge things you can do to help support the show, but they only take a few seconds. Leave us a great customer review in the iTunes Music Store, dig the show on dig.com, and every month you can vote for the best of the left at podcastalley.com. Find links to all three of these most important sites on the right-hand side at bestoftheleftpodcast.com. Thanks for your support. To address that controversy is the 1984 Democratic vice presidential nominee herself. Geraldine Ferraro is also a Fox News political analyst. Good to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. All right. So you're getting a lot of heat for this comment. You want to put it in context for us? Yeah. First of all, let me just say I'm sorry that people thought it was racist. Because, but part of the problem is, and, and I'm a person really who has fought discrimination for 40 years, so I am absolutely offended by the emails, the phone calls, and all the threats that I've been getting, which is really terrible and has come out of, out of the Obama campaign. David Axelrod, who knows me better, should not have, have gotten this whole campaign going. All they had to do was take a look at what I actually said. And what I actually said before I made that comment, and that was in response to a question at a paid speech. I was not representing Hillary. I had been in Michigan the night before, two nights before, with Bill Kristol arguing presidential politics. I get paid for doing that no connection with the campaign. I got up and the question was asked, so where, how do you, why do you think Barack Obama is in the place he is today with all these candidates and all these delegates and all the rest of this stuff? And I said, in large measure, because he's black. And I said, let me, before I go on, let me also say that in 1984, and I've said this, if I've said it once, I've said it 20, 30, 50, 100 times since the 84 campaign. In 1984, if my name were Gerard Ferraro instead of Geraldine Ferraro, I would never have been the nominee for vice president. Now, does that mean I wasn't qualified to do the job? 
No. I could have done. That's the question that's raised, no, because it makes people say uh, that you're saying that the only reason that he got where he is no. is because he's black. So what are the other reasons that he got where no, he is? He's a, he's a fabulous campaigner. He's got a history. He's got a message. And I said that as well. In fact, David doesn't know this, David, that I compliment this is one of the best campaigns I've seen. And I speak about historic yeah, the, first. The wait, 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 wait a minute. I Go speak ahead. about historic first. I talk about how exciting it is to have two campaigns. But, you know, the truth is the truth is the, the truth. The problem is that there's been a string of comments that have come from Clinton surrogates that have gotten I'm people not in a trouble. Surrogate. Bob Carey's problem. But you're on the I'm finance not, committee, no, correct? I, I want to tell you something, which means that I did a fundraiser and I raised money. Now, if, if, if I get off the fundraiser, that's fine. Will I stop raising money for her? Absolutely not. Let's pull up David and Axelrod's indeed, comment, that it's just so people can see what, what you're referring right. to. He says he's calling for you to step down uh, from Clinton's finance committee, and he says that this is part of an insidious pattern, if we can pull that to quote up and get a look at it, that needs to be addressed. He says, when you wink and nod at offensive comments, you're really sending a signal to your supporters that anything goes. I have to tell you, what I find is offensive is that every time somebody says something about the campaign, you're accused of being racist. Take a look in today's New York Times, in which some professor from argue, uh, Harvard argues in the most convoluted way I've ever seen that that 3 a.m. in the morning had a sub-message that was racist. Give me a break. What is Give the me a campaign break. saying? Because she did distance herself a bit from this comment today on the campaign. She, yeah, she, she said had sometimes we do have to rain so she should. She, you can, she can't rein me in. I'm a Fox News contributor. I get on here because you want to hear what I have to say. I get invited to give paid speeches. I don't run by anybody, anything that they want me to say or not say. I am a supporter. I will continue. If, if it makes David happy, I would get off the fine. But I'm telling David that I will raise money for Hillary. And if Barack Obama is the candidate, he shouldn't really antagonize people like me because he's going to come to me and ask me to raise money for Barack Obama. And I would do it for him, too, if he stops doing this kind of horrendous attacks at me. All right, Jolene Ferraro, very good to have you here tonight. Thank, Thank you very you. much. presidential campaign of the junior senator from New York. By way of necessary preface, President and Senator Clinton and the senator's mother and the senator's brother were of immeasurable support to me at the moments when these very commentaries were the focus of the most surprise, the most uncertainty, and the most anger. My gratitude to them is abiding. Also, I am not here endorsing Senator Obama's nomination nor suggesting it is inevitable. Thus, I have fought with myself over whether or not to say anything. Events insist. Senator, as it has reached its apex in their tone-deaf, arrogant, and insensitive reaction to the remarks of Geraldine Ferraro, your own advisors are slowly killing your chances to become president. Senator, their words and your own are now slowly killing the chances for any Democrat to become president. In your tepid response to this Ferraro disaster, you may sincerely think you are disenthralling an enchanted media and writing an unfair advance bestowed on Senator Obama. 
You may think the matter has closed with Representative Ferraro's bitter, almost threatening resignation letter. But in fact, Senator, you are now campaigning as if Barack Obama were the Democrat and you were the Republican. As Shakespeare wrote, Senator, that way madness lies. You have missed a critical opportunity to do what was right. No matter what Ms. Ferraro now claims, no one took her comments out of context. She had made them on at least three separate occasions, then twice more on television this morning. Just hours ago on NBC Nightly News, she denied she had made the remarks in an interview only at a paid political speech. In fact, the first time she spoke them was 10 days before that California newspaper published them, not in a speech, but in a radio interview. On February 26th, quoting, If Barack Obama were a white man, would we be talking about this as a potential real problem for Hillary? If he were a woman of any color, would he be in this position that he's in? Absolutely not. The content was inescapable. Two minutes earlier, a member of Senator Clinton's finance committee, one of her hill raisers, had bemoaned the change in allegiance by superdelegate John Lewis from Clinton to Obama and also the endorsement of Obama by Senator Dodd. I look at these guys doing it, she had said, and I have to tell you, it's the guys sticking together. A minute after the color remark, she was describing herself as having been chosen for the 1984 Democratic ticket purely as a woman politician, purely to make history. She was, in turn, making a blind accusation of sexism and dismissing Senator Obama's candidacy as nothing more than some equal opportunity stunt. The next day, she repeated her comments, and a reporter from the newspaper in Torrance, California, heard them. If Obama was a white man, he would not be in this position. And if he was a woman of any color, he would not be in this position. He happens to be very lucky to be who he is, and the country is caught up in the concept. And when this despicable statement, ugly in its overtones, laughable in its weak grip of the facts, and moronic in the historical context, when it floats outward from the Clinton campaign like a poison cloud, what do the advisors have their candidate do? Do they have Senator Clinton herself compare the remark to Al Campanis talking on Nightline on Jackie Robinson Day about how blacks lack the necessities to become baseball executives while she points out that Barack Obama has not gotten his 1,600 delegates as part of some kind of affirmative action plan? Do they have Senator Clinton note that her own brief period in elected office is as irrelevant to the issue of judgment as is Senator Obama's? while she points out that FDR had served only six years as a governor and state senator before he became president, or that Teddy Roosevelt had four and a half years before the White House, or that Woodrow Wilson had two years and six weeks, or Richard Nixon, 14, and Calvin Coolidge, 25? Do these advisors have Senator Clinton invoke Samantha Power, gone by sunrise after she used the word monster, and have Senator Clinton say, this is how I police my campaign, and this is what I stand for, while she fires former Congresswoman Ferraro from any role in the campaign. No. Somebody tells her that simply disagreeing with, then rejecting the remarks, is sufficient. And she should then call regrettable, words that should make any Democrat wretch. And that she should then try to twist them, first into some pox on both your houses plea to stick to the issues, and then to let her campaign manager try to bend them beyond all recognition into Senator Obama's fault. And thus these advisors give Congresswoman Ferraro nearly a week in which to send Senator Clinton's campaign back into the vocabulary of David Duke. 
anytime anybody does anything that in any way pulls this campaign down and says, let's address reality and the problems we're facing in this world, you're accused of being racist, so you have to shut up. Racism works in two different directions. I really think they're attacking me because I'm white. How's that? How's that? Apart from sounding exactly like Rush Limbaugh attacking the black football quarterback Donovan McNabb, apart from sounding exactly like what Ms. Ferraro said about another campaign nearly 20 years ago, quote, President Reagan suggested Tuesday that people don't ask Jesse Jackson tough questions because of his race. And former Representative Geraldine A. Ferraro said Wednesday that because of his, quote, radical views, quote, if Jesse Jackson were not black, he wouldn't be in the race. So apart from sounding like insidious racism that is at least two decades old, apart from rendering ridiculous Senator Clinton's shell game about choosing Obama as vice president, apart from this evening's resignation letter, I am stepping down from your finance committee so I can speak for myself and you can continue to speak for yourself about what is at stake in this campaign. The Obama campaign is attacking me to hurt you. Apart from all that, well... It sounds as if those advisors wanted their campaign to be associated with those words and the cheap, ignorant, vile racism that underlies every syllable of them. And that Geraldine Ferraro has just gone freelance. Senator Clinton, this is not a campaign strategy. This is a suicide pact. This week alone, your so-called strategists have declared that Senator Obama has not yet crossed some commander-in-chief threshold, but... He might still be your choice to be vice president, even though a quarter of the previous 16 vice presidents have become commander-in-chief during the greatest kind of crisis this nation can face, a midterm succession. But you'd only pick him if he crosses that threshold by the time of the convention. But if he does cross that threshold by the time of the convention, he will only have done so sufficiently enough to become vice president, not president. Senator. If the serpentine logic of your so-called advisors were not bad enough, now, thanks to Geraldine Ferraro and your campaign's initial refusal to break with her and your new relationship with her, now more disturbing still with her claim that she can now speak for herself about her vision of Senator Obama as some kind of embodiment of a quota, if she wishes, if you were to seek Obama as a vice president, it would be, to Ms. Ferraro, some kind of social engineering gesture, some kind of racial make-good. Do you not see, Senator? To Senator Clinton's supporters, to her admirers, to her friends for whom she is first choice, and to her friends for whom she is second choice, she is still letting herself be perceived as standing next to and standing by racial divisiveness and blindness. And worse yet, after what President Clinton said during the South Carolina primary, comparing the Obama and Jesse Jackson campaigns, a disturbing but only borderline remark, after what some in the black community have perceived as a racial undertone to the 3 a.m. ad, a disturbing but only borderline interpretation, and after the moment's hesitation in her own answer on 60 Minutes about Obama's religion, a disturbing but only borderline vagueness, after those precedents, there are those who see a pattern, false or true, they see it. After those precedents, there are those who see an intent, false or true, they see it. After those precedents, there are those who see the Clinton campaign's anything but benign neglect of the Ferraro catastrophe, falsely or truly, as a desire to hear the kind of casual prejudice which still haunts the society, voiced, and to not distance the campaign from it. To not distance you from it, Senator. To not distance you 
from that which you as a woman and Senator Obama as an African-American should both know and feel with the deepest of personal pain, which you should both fight with all you have, which you should both ensure has no place in this contest ever. This, Senator Clinton, is your campaign and it is your name. Grab the reins back from whoever has led you to this precipice before it is too late. Voluntarily or inadvertently, you are still awash in this filth. Your only reaction has been to disagree, reject, to call it regrettable. Her only reaction has been to brand herself as the victim and resign from your committee and insist she will continue to speak. Unless, Senator, you say something definitive, the former congresswoman is speaking with your approval. You must remedy this, and you must reject and denounce Geraldine Ferraro. Good night and good luck. The war is going into its sixth year with no end in sight. The economy, of course, is tanking. But what is America freaking out about right now? <laughs> that apparently Barack Obama went to a church and heard his pastor criticize America <laughs> and just sat there. When everybody knows when you hear something your pastor says that you don't agree with, you get up there and you punch him in the fucking face <laughs> and you beat him with the cross. <laughs> and not only that, this Reverend Wright, oh my God, this man, this black man in a dashiki. <laughs> Apparently he officiated when Obama got married. Oh, wait till they find out that the wedding band was the Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> you heard of the Wu-Tang Clan? Never mind. That's okay. I like older white people, but you know what? <laughs> The thing is, Republicans, of course, don't allow dangerous religious freaks to, to advise their campaigns. They nominate them. That's <laughs> the difference. <laughs> now, of course, Obama had to answer this. Did you watch his speech? Did you see his speech? It was quite a speech. He hit all the notes. He said racism is real for black people. He said white resentment is real for white people. But at the end of the day, why can't we all come together with the shared knowledge that Asians can't drive? <laughs> now, of course, the good news, I'm always looking for good news, people, is that on YouTube, the Obama speech now is getting watched more than the clips of the pastor in the dashiki. So, well, wait. The bad news is that it's still far behind the footage of Spitzer's hooker on Girls Gone Wild. That's, that's killing everybody. This chick is everywhere. I swear to God, she won American Idol. This girl, the last person to get this famous for fucking some idiot was Kevin Federline.
and New York's new governor, David Patterson, <laughs> he made history uh, this week. He's black, he's blind, and he's hornier than the last guy. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> he hadn't taken his, taken his hand off the Bible when they swore him in before he admitted to having multiple affairs. See, this is what women don't get about the male sex drive. Uh, he was blind, and he still wanted to see other people. I, I think that says a lot. I really... And it's not easy having an affair when you're blind. He used to come home with lipstick on his shoes. That's... And his wife was cheating, too. Did you know that? I would love to see that confrontation. Honey, I may be blind, but I'm not blind. And now, the New York Post says that Elliot Spitzer is in therapy for sex addiction. addiction. And I'm not sure uh, he really understands the process. Today, he requested an analyst with really big tits. <laughs> All right. In his speech, the, uh, one of the things I liked about his speech was that he said, look, if you're a white guy in America, those blue-collar whites who are voting for Hillary, I think he was talking to, <laughs> Uh, and you think the problem is that the black guy is going to take your job or the Mexican immigrant is going to take your job. Really, your enemy is rich, corporate, white people. Those are the people who are screwing you. The people who haven't gotten a raise, basically, in 30 years, right? There's a, a, a little, little lift from the John Edwards populist playbook. Absolutely. On that one. Well, Absolutely. You know, he's absolutely right. And one of the things that's been good about what's going on in politics today for years, a lot of liberal Democrats were deterred, intimidated, because if we raised questions of income distribution, they said, You're, it's class warfare. Mm -hmm. And the best answer to that was Warren Buffett, who said, oh, we have class warfare in this country. My class is winning. And right. um, what you've now seen is a kind of coalescence, and it's the same with Senator Clinton, Senator Obama, all the Democrats. We're now saying, enough of this. There is a terrible problem of income inequality. There's a terrible problem with, a, with an economic system that's not serving the majority of people. And we have to prevent that from being used as, as a kind of divisive thing. brought the fork. Hillary Clinton, you're going to need this because you're, you're done. You're done. It's over. Hillary Clinton has lost. Barack Obama is your winner. Uh, he is going to be the Democratic nominee for president. Now, I resisted saying that for a long, long time, even though it looked like the math was clear and it looked like he had unstoppable momentum, but I didn't want to base it on momentum. I didn't want to base it on maybes. Uh, I certainly didn't want to call it and then say, oh, well, yeah, but I screwed up and she pulled up, pulled off yet another amazing comeback, right? And I pounded that gavel once or twice and cut it off about 800 times. And I said, no, no, not yet. But now is the time. It's over. I'm the ref. I'm stepping in. Hillary Clinton, your work is done here, 
Okay, you've lost. Uh, now, why do I say that? Okay, number one, uh, it turns out, you know, the big wins in Ohio and Texas and Rhode Island, a great comeback of Hillary Clinton last week. Are you ready for this? I hope you're sitting. She lost delegates last week. She lost delegates. I, I, look, this is not conjecture. This is cold, hard facts. So in her best week ever, it turns, I get a load of this, that she lost anywhere between 14 to 16 delegates last week when she won Ohio and Texas and Rhode Island. Kind of. Because it turns out, of course, in the delegate count, as we predicted on the show, she did not win in Texas. The final tally in, in Texas is in, and Barack Obama has won. Now, he didn't win the popular vote in the primaries, but remember, as we told you before the uh, election happened in Texas, there's a primary and a caucus. When those results were tabulated together and the election officials in Texas handed it in yesterday, the result is, or early this morning, 99 to 95, Barack Obama wins. He picked up four delegates in Texas. So when you hear that Hillary Clinton won Texas and Ohio, that is not true. Barack Obama won Texas. Now you can say, oh, boo-hoo, you know, it shouldn't be a primary and a caucus. It should just be a primary, and she won the popular vote. And I'm not even, look, it's it being unfair to say boo-hoo. If you want to say she won the primary vote and the popular vote, and you want to make an argument about what's right or wrong, I, I'm, I'm listening to that. I hear you on that. But as a matter of what happened with the delegates, it's not an open question. 99-95, Barack Obama wins. He also picked up eight other delegates, super delegates, the week before. So this is point number two. And she lost four delegates. And then yesterday, <laughs> well, actually, it'll probably happen today, she's going to lose another super delegate. His name is Elliot Spitzer. <laughs> She was He was a Clinton supporter, and he's going to step down. You say, well, but there's going to be a new Clinton supporter, Democratic governor in New York. Yes, except he's already a Clinton supporter, and he was already a super, a super delegate. So that's a net loss for her. So when you and California came in with a, a new count, and it turned out Barack Obama picked up four more delegates out of California. And Wyoming will give, deliver yet another delegate uh, for Obama, uh, when their official tally is counted and he wins the state, which of course he has won it. But that one delegate has not been counted yet officially, but it will be. So when you put it all together, he's up roughly, like I said, depending on how you count, 14 to 16 delegates from last week. When you put Ohio, Texas, Rhode Island, Vermont, and Wyoming together. Plus what happened with California and the superdelegates. So how is she was down over 150 when the week started. Now she's down even bigger, more than 160 delegates overall. And today we have Mississippi where she's going to get whooped. So Obama's going to pick up even more delegates from Mississippi. Does she have a chance of winning? Absolutely, positively not. No chance whatsoever. I mean, she would have to. <laughs> there is no she would have to. She can't win. Even if she swept every remaining state by overwhelming margins and got Florida and Michigan to re-vote and won those by overwhelming margins, she still couldn't catch Obama. And then she'd have to pull the chicanery and try to get the superdelegates to do this and to do that, and they're not going to do that. If he's got such an enormous lead and pledged delegates, 
all the superdelegates are not going to come in and cause a riot and switch over and give the election to Hillary Clinton when she didn't win it in the polls and in the uh, primaries in the caucuses. It's not going to happen. It's over, 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 over. Okay, I have a couple of announcements that I'd like to make here at the end of the show. The first is I'd like to announce the winner of the raffle for the iPod Nano that we're giving away. And the winner of the raffle for the iPod Nano goes to Mr. Finks. So congratulations to Mr. Finks. And a big thank you goes out to everybody who's been sending me clips over the last few months. The second announcement is that I'm going to be embarking on a new project. This new project is not related to politics or podcasting, but basically between this new project and me working 40 hours a week with my job, I won't have enough time to continue to do what I've been doing over the last several months with this podcast. Anyways, please don't unsubscribe. Just be aware that things may be a little bumpy and irregular until we find somebody to kind of take over my position. So that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you all next week. Hi, my name is Larry Sinclair. I'm making this video and posting it on YouTube because of an incident involving myself and Senator Barack Obama between November 3rd and November 8th, 1999 in the Chicago, Illinois area. The mainstream media and Obama himself has done greatly to prevent this story from becoming public. During those time periods in 1999, I met Obama at an upscale lounge in Chicago, Illinois. After having a few drinks, Obama and I left in my limo, began to drink. Mr. Obama acquired powder cocaine for my use, crack cocaine for his use. I performed oral sex on Senator Obama, who at the time was a state representative for the state of Illinois. Mr. Obama knows these allegations to be true. I'm challenging Mr. Obama to come forth, be honest, stop claiming, that his drug use is limited to his teenage years. 1999, you weren't a teenager. 1999, you were a state representative for the people of the state of Illinois. 1999, I performed oral sex on you in the back of my limo. 
as well as in my hotel room in Gurney, Illinois, two days later. If you challenge this, the authenticity of this allegation, I challenge you to take a polygraph test, as I will submit to as well. These allegations are true and need to be told to the public. Let the public des decide whether Mr. Obama is being forthright and honest. Thank you.